Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Here's the best, Dr. History. Good morning, Chad. Good my morning. Friend. Hey, I almost ran over you in the parking lot I yesterday. know, I know. It's a good thing I looked twice because I didn't recognize you at first. So. i got to hand it to you. You can dodge pretty good. I tried to nail you three times. <laughs> well, if you hadn't had your horse trailer on, you probably could have. Yeah. <laughs> so i got to say hi to some people, Zeb. Okay. Andrew, uh, he has a history of whiskey. That we might want to look uh, into. Whoa, 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 whoa. Andrew has a history of whiskey. That didn't sound real good. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> okay. Then Melody, she sent me a suggestion about a book. Ryan, who's a volunteer fireman, uh, told me about some stuff up in Cody, Wyoming. Uh, Jill over in Reno has invited us last year and again this year, Zeb, to go, and they will take us on a tour of Virginia City. I would love to. And and where they filmed Bonanza. Oh, yeah. you better yeah. keep that one in the forefront. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, Randy, I would like to say hi to Randy and his eight-year-old son, Glenn. Where are they from? Glenn, you know, I'm not sure, but Glenn is eight years old, and he likes stories about mountain men, reading about them. And so, Glenn, I'm going to come up with a story just for you. Glenn, if you're listening, I agree with you. One of my favorite movies of all time, even though I didn't like the lead actor, Robert Redford and Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And also to Richard, uh, who lives over in the Bay Area, he suggested a story about Mountain Charlie. And that's what we're going to talk about Mountain today. Mountain Charlie. You're going to you, at the end of this. If you're going to know all about Mountain Charlie. I've never. Now there's one I've never heard of. I hadn't either. Okay, you so, are at go. Proceed. Here, here we go. So Mountain Charlie was a legendary figure of the Los Gatos Mountains. The stories range from fierce bear fighter to mountaintop settler, eventually to become a toll collector. His very first toll road was uh, unfortunately not very good because it was a circus that was trying to cross his toll road and they didn't have the money to pass and Charlie kind of had a standoff with the owners and eventually was threatened by their two circus elephants named Queen Elizabeth and Prince Albert. Eventually Charlie was convinced to let them pass for free Mm -hmm. uh, before being trampled by an elephant. Circus. Circus. Elephants. Yes. Now his name Charles Henry or Mountain Charlie McKiernan is his name. Uh, Henry McKiernan. Okay. Uh, Charles. The most colorful of all characters in Santa Cruz Mountain history was the man with the silver skull. And I'm going to get... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. <laughs> the man with the silver skull. And you'll know all about that in a few minutes. Oh, <laughs> I know you're curious, right? I am. I yeah. am. So here we go. Mountain Charlie McKiernan. He was the first white settler in the Santa Cruz Mountain section. A pioneer hunter, a rancher, a teamster, a road builder. He was the idol of every small boy in the mountains and the friend uh, of everybody. His motto was, right wrongs nobody. Mm. So the simple statement, I knew Mountain Charlie, is kind of a proud uh, boast of many an old mountain man. Uh, While tales of this half-legendary figure are pretty wild in the region, he was actually disfigured by an encounter with a wounded grizzly bear. And it is said of McKiernan that a grizzly meeting him on the trail would be the first to give way. 
a, really? a typical mountain yarn that no one would uh, dare to uh, challenge. So what they're saying is if the, if the bear's coming up, the bear will get out of the way for Mountain Charlie. Yeah. Okay. 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 So uh, anyway, Mountain Charlie. Was he a big guy? I don't, I don't know. I don't oh. have any pictures. Oh. Any, but anyway, uh, uh, McKiernan was born in 1825 in Ireland, and he was a quartermaster in the British Army. He traveled in Australia and New Zealand, where he was stationed when word of the gold strike hit uh, in California in 1848. He enlisted, having expired uh, uh, or signed on as a sailor on the ship, the El Dorado. He arrived in San Francisco in the spring of 1849. Uh, they didn't even wait for their pay. They just jumped ship and headed off to to look for gold. I don't think just I as, would have been in that much of a hurry. <laughs> no. <clears throat> but there were runners there at the ship with bottles of whiskey to induce these guys to head out where they could make $20 a day as compared to $20 a year uh, as a sailor. Wow. So uh, anyway, with the, he did have some savings from his wages as a miner for a short period. Uh, but uh, McKiernan started a pack train carrying supplies to the Trinity County Mines. Uh, he bought a string of 15 pack mules and opened up a freighting business between Trinidad on the Humboldt County coast and the mines. After her, his first trip, which was very successful, he added 10 more mules to his train. Now, this didn't turn out so good. A little bit disastrous. Indian stampeded his whole train, and he actually considered himself lucky to escape with his own life. Really? So, so much for the packing uh, uh, expedition. That it was, he was a good on. enterprise. Yeah, for one trip. Yeah. <laughs> so, with a friend named Page, uh, McKiernan set out for the Santa Cruz Mountains early in 1850 to take a look at some of the government land. Now, following the old Indian trail from what is now Los Gatos, they stopped at the Laguna del Sargento, a beautiful lake. I'm impressed, Doc. You I got through that. that pretty good. <laughs> they stopped at this lake, which was a favorite camping place for Indian and Spanish travelers over the mountains. Well, Page continued on his way to Santa Cruz, but McKiernan had found the spot that he'd been looking for. And he settled, he established a homestead at the highest point on the ridge. Now, near a spring, McKiernan erected the first house in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and this was built from whip-sawed lumber split from the nearby redwood groves. Now, whip-sawing is a crude form of lumbering. Yeah. It's performed by two men, one in a pit under the log and the other above. Do you, you got that picture? No, There's a pit. one's in a pit. Right. And, underneath the log. Right, and the other guy's above. And, okay. And so they're going back. Oh, and they and use a two-man saw. Right, yeah, a man on each end. And that has got to be hard, hard work. Why can't they do it the old way of one on each side of the log? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that. But that's what they called it. But anyway, his home in Corrales completed. McKiernan started to raise sheep and cattle and to hunt uh, for the market. Uh, grizzly bears, coyotes, mountain lions, and eagles pretty well made short work of his uh, flock of sheep that didn't last too long okay we lost the pack string we've lost the herd of sheep now we lost sheep yeah 
Now, steers, uh, a little less vulnerable to these enemies, were worth 6 to $8 a head and uh, actually sold principally for their hides and their tallow. I see. But deer meat was worth $0.10 cents a pound hmm. and was easy to get at uh, first. Uh, since the deer had never been heard, uh, never heard the sound of a gun, uh, they were day feeders and they'd stand and stare when one of their number uh, was uh, shot and killed. Kind of like magpies. Have you ever shot at deer that have never been shot at, Zeb? Yeah. And they will just stand there. They'll stand there and look at you. Yeah, and they, yeah. they kind of like magpies in a tree. Uh, you ever yes. tried that? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, old Mountain Charlie's crude old muzzle-loading blunderbuss. Uh, he shot. Uh, he made two trips a week to a place called Al Alvaso. I'm not sh- somewhere over there, with a pack train of deer meat <laughs> to be shipped by boat to San Francisco. Now, without refrigeration, and we can only surmise that the game reached the city, quote, well hung. Ooh, that must have been dicey. Yeah, uh, well hung, yeah. whatever that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Mountain Charlie built roads all through his property. Um, now, the story of Mountain Charlie McKiernan's fight with a grizzly bear is kind of uh, outstanding as a kind of a heroic tale that uh, still abounds. And, and so here it is. So in the 1850s, there was a lot of grizzly bears in that area, and they were plentiful. So killing off the stock, uh, you know, of the of the men, the the ranchers so they were hunted down and by the ranchers of the region and they also derived a profit from the hunting by selling the bear hides and the meat now mckiernan had often shot grizzly bears in fact he was one of the best known bear hunters in the mountains and of course you know bears anywhere from eight Hundred to fourteen hundred pounds, and the grizzly was always treated with respect. And the best shot was a downhill shot with a fast horse for a quick getaway if necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'd be doing a quick getaway the other way without shooting. See, you can do that, but when you're on crutches, you don't go in grizzly bear <laughs> no, country. You just don't even go no, there, right? No, no. Okay. So here we go. May eighth, eighteen fifty-one. McKiernan and a friend named Taylor from Santa Cruz started out for a gulch about a mile southwest of the McKiernan home where Taylor was planning to take up some land. Uh-huh. Now, after shooting a couple of deer near the top of the gulch, Taylor and McKiernan spotted a mama grizzly and two cubs near the bottom. Go the other way. Okay. As both were dead shots, the two decided to get the bear. Uh-huh. And they set out uh, for the head of the gulch to approach the bear from above on the far side of the canyon mm. so they would have a downhill shot. I see. They didn't want... Uh, yeah. Okay. Are you with me? I am so far. <laughs> okay. However... This is when the however comes in, Zeb. When they arrived at their designated spot, they found the bear out of sight and followed down a deer trail in pursuit. They weren't real bright. McKiernan, in the lead, swung around a bend Uh to find the mama grizzly standing on her hind legs within six feet of him. Oh! Her forepaws outstretched for a nice, lovely, raking hug. McKiernan fired instantly with the muzzle of his gun against her chest. He was that close? He was that close. While Taylor fired over McKiernan's shoulders into the bear's face. 
You got that picture? Uh-huh. McKiernan, he's not done. He clubbed the grizzly with the stock of his gun, but the bear beat down the weapon and seized him in her powerful forearms, Some... crushed the front of his skull oh, in her paws, goodness. then tossed him aside and started for Taylor. Now, why was Taylor still standing there? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I'd be backtracking so fast. <laughs> Meanwhile, Taylor's small dog had attacked the cubs. Who they were squalling and attracted the mama bear, and she turned to the dog while Taylor escaped to the top of the ridge. He left the other guy there. Oh, yeah. He thought McKernan had been killed. He thought he was dead. Yeah. All right. Okay. So the bear chased the dog away. McKernan, or uh, so. Taylor returned to McKiernan. Oh, no, the bear returned to McKiernan. Oh. Dragged him to the end of a clearing under an oak tree, and after pawing over him curiously, left him. Now, Taylor is still there. His rifle reloaded. He returned to the gulch to find McKiernan sitting up and conscious, but paralyzed uh, from the waist down from the shock. He couldn't get up. While the fight had been only a matter of seconds, Mountain Charlie said he remained conscious throughout this whole thing and remembered every act of his life to date while it was passing. The bear was not seen again. Now, Taylor bound up McKiernan's head with his shirt, uh, leaving him uh, he lo- uh, with his loaded rifle for protection, and they took off. Well, What year was this? About 1850. So they didn't have, like, the Winchester repeating. No, no. So they got him to a guy named Dr. Bell in San Jose. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> no, I hadn't made that connection. <laughs> well, he manufactured a silver plate out of two Mexican half dollars to fit in the broken part of his skull where the bear had bitten through the frontal bone on the top of his skull Holy, over his left he eye. He could have found a Ford hubcap in the ditch or something. Well, within three weeks, the plate had corroded and oh had to be taken had to be taken out. Oh, no. Now, it gets better, Zeb. They replaced it with another plate without the use of anesthetics. He was You know, you've got, look at my hands. They're sweating when okay. you're telling me this. Now, McKiernan suffered without complaint through the ordeal. His wound healed, but he had severe headaches. Well, which, <laughs> duh. Which continued for two years until he went to a Dr. Spencer in Redwood City, who, after consultation with specialists, reopened his skull, <gasps> did some work on it, again without anesthetic. This is back in the 1850s? Yeah, yeah. So, but actually what he did relieved the, the, the pain, uh, but... You can imagine he was terribly disfigured on that whole left side of his head and and face. You know, uh, I mean, it looked pretty pretty bad for the rest of his life. What did they put in there for steel or what did you call it? Aluminum well, they, or no? They used a couple of uh, Mexican half dollars first. Yeah. No. So oh let's continue on with this. Guy. I can't wait. <laughs> okay. In 1862, he married a gal, gal named Barbara. She was a nurse that had worked, had helped with him. Uh, <laughs> they had to cancel the wedding because it was going to be a thunderstorm that day. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't go out. So. In the 1870s, McKiernan started a stagecoach business and later became one of the most successful businessmen in the area. His cabin near the summit was often a stopping spot and became known as a halfway house or a station ranch. Barbara cooked meals for the stagecoach passengers, and Charlie helped change the horses on the wagons. So he was up and going and doing. She couldn't kiss him in the wintertime on the head because her lips would stick to him, right? Yeah, you couldn't go out in the cold. Yeah. So now, here we go. 
get to some robbers, Zeb. Oh, my. So there were a lot of robbers around this area, okay? Uh, So one day, Mountain Charlie spied two men near his cabin. Yeah. And thinking they were just neighbors, he yelled to them, said hi, but they took off running. Now, now whereabouts was this? Uh, Santa Cruz, over in that area. Gotcha. So about that time, the county sheriff showed up. And uh, Charlie led them to the cabin where he thought these guys might be hiding. And... uh, uh, they they were, and uh, they all started shooting at this cabin, and uh, Mountain Charlie was the first to go over to the cabin, kick in the door. He got off two quick rifle shots, and without bringing the gun to his shoulder, he broke one bandit's arm and nicked the arm of his partner, uh, San Jose, say, not his partner, the, the, the robber's partner. Okay. <laughs> okay, not his partner. Uh, San Jose judge dealt those guys 10-year sentences. Now, as I mentioned, he was terribly disfigured. He wore a hat low over his left eye the rest of his life. Okay. He enjoyed full health until 1890 when he became sick with some kind of a stomach ailment. He died on January 18, 1892, 38 years after the bear fight that made him famous. Oh, my and that's goodness the story sakes. Of Mountain Charlie. And, Richard, thank you for uh, suggesting this guy because I'd never heard of him. Richard, now, where is he from? I, I'm not sure. The, when I get emails, I don't always know where oh, they're coming from. They should always give their addresses so we can know what kind of an area we're covering. Yeah. I'm impressed with the the rebuilding of uh, Mountain Charlie's head. Well, you know, back then, Zeb, there's so many stories of the doctors back then that did so many things without... Uh, any kind of anesthetic. So you said they used Mexican coins. And somehow they melded them down and made them into some sort of a plate, I guess. So he was basically, the skull was open to the brain. I guess, yeah. Isn't it amazing he didn't get infections or anything? Oh, yeah. And actually, that's one of the worst things that happened when people got shot back then. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily from the bullet, but the infection that occurred. In fact, uh, uh, you know, Jim Bridger had an arrow in his back. For about four years, an arrowhead. It stayed there forever, didn't it? For about four years or I so, uh, until Marcus Whitman came through, and uh, I think it was up at Jackson Hole, where they had the the rendezvous, and Marcus Whitman pulled uh, dug that out for him. So I just can't imagine this guy, Mountain Charlie, way back in the 1850s, and to go through, and you said no anesthetic. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's worse than going to a chiropractor. Uh, well, now be careful, Zeb. <laughs> So, again, for Glenn, young eight-year-old Glenn, I, this is a story about a mountain man. Oh, So my. I hope you enjoyed that, Glenn. And, Glenn, I want to just keep encourage. I want to encourage you to just keep reading everything you can. Yeah. And, uh, the more you read, the better you're going to get at, at reading. And It's know, amazing to me how tough oh, the, yeah. the uh, 1800 uh, pioneers were. Yeah. And the mountain men that... You know, they would, uh, I can't remember the names of these guys, but the one guy that got his skull uh, tore open and they just stitched it back together. One of the, the other uh, trappers or the mountain men just stitched his skull. Her okay, scalp now, now help me, Doc. It, you said one time on this program that um, I thought you had said the movie A Man Called Horse was basically derived from a true story to where this guy had been mauled terribly by a grizzly bear and healed himself, sewed himself back up and everything? You know, I can't remember if that was him or not. I see. I'm not sure. But you mentioned uh, Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah. And that 
actually the true story of that there's a book called uh, John Johnson crow hunter or crow killer and uh, his name was John Johnson and they also called him liver eaten Johnson liver eaten Johnson and, but did it uh, happen down in the Wasatch Mountains like the movie depicted well he is buried up at Cody Wyoming oh and if you and uh, let's see uh, who was oh it was Ryan that told me about Cody, Wyoming, and I've been there in that museum. They have thousands I've of guns. I've never been to that museum. And in there they have uh, John Johnson or Jeremiah Johnson, his gun and knife. The real could. thing. Right, right. Really. And Ryan also told me that if you go there, he was able to go out and shoot vintage guns from that era, including a Gatlin gun. Oh, so I, thought, I would enjoy that. Oh, yeah, to go out and shoot the black powder, yeah. the, all those guns. I the, shot the, a Hawken one time that I let George Montgomery load, and it put me right on my keister. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that in that museum, there is a shotgun that is, I think it was a four-gauge or a six-gauge shotgun. Oh, that they, must have kicked like a... Well, it was, it was long. I'm going to say it was about seven feet long. And Seven and you didn't hold it up to your shoulder. I can imagine it, it had a, a a big uh, kind of like a bunch of wood, uh, almost round on the end of the stock, and you put it down on the ground when you shoot it. You don't hold it up. Did you shoot it? Oh no! Oh. <laughs> I, but I saw it in that museum, and I thought, My. yeah, you wouldn't. I mean, it just take a lot just to even carry the thing. But seven foot long. It had to be at least seven. Yeah. But if you get a chance to go to Cody, folks, you got to go into that Buffalo Bill Museum, and yeah. just um, you can spend hours looking at all the thousands of guns that they have there. Wow, that was interesting. Yeah, and Mountain, you call him Mountain Charlie. Mountain Charlie with a hole in his head. With the hole in his head. Yeah, and he lived because he was a dumb bear hunter. <laughs> well, at least once he was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was a good story. And again, mention some of the people that you. Well, uh, uh, of course, Randy, his son, Glenn, uh, Richard, uh, with this story, Andrew, uh, the history of whiskey. <laughs> I want to get that one on. And Melody, uh, uh, she's written several times. Let that's... me ask you a question. Do you know the derivation or the origination of whiskey? Was it in the in the southeast? I don't know. Oh, I I, I don't okay. know that. So, and Jill, Jill. Zeb and I are going to try to get to Reno. Oh, we would love. She even offered to let us stay in her house. Oh, I'm telling you, I that's exciting. Yeah, All maybe right. this summer, Jill. And by the way, I we've got a quick call. I've only got thirty seconds, and I'm going to have to cut you off real fast. Caller, please. Yes, I was talking to that old man that used to be a blacksmith in Murtaugh. He said there used to be so many geese and ducks on the on the river. He said they concocted a two inch pipe. And mounted it to a boat. And he says, when we lit that thing off, he says, we ended up getting about six or eight ducks or geese every time we shot it. Holy smokes. <laughs> gauge or four gauge. Okay. He had a two-inch pipe. Wow. That was an explosion. Thank you, Doc. God bless you, man. I'm out of time. i got to run. Dr. History, thank you so much. Thanks to all your listeners that love to tune in to Zeb at the Ranch and catch Dr. History. And you will be here next week. I will be here. All right. God bless you.